1: Okay, so I missed a couple things. Yeah, the, this, the Guru Jay, this is Guru Jay. I give you secret passcode. Holy cow, so you'll know it's me, not imposter. So I missed a couple things on Friday. I was determined because this whole family is so sick here. Everyone is so i'm that here's all I need to say I'm the healthiest person in this house. that's bad. that's really bad. If you're old enough to have seen Ben Hur, remember when they went to the valley of the lepers, like in the cave okay coming to this house is like going into the cave of the lepers. uh so I was trying to squeeze in a day off, maybe two, while it was still possible. Between now and say, oh, you know, November, election day, and today was going to be one of them. Okay, I can't get everything right. Excelsior. Welcome back. I missed you, my friends, my broadcast partners, my radio family, and I did, truly, as if you've been here, you know. I mean, with all my heart. And I mean, with all my heart, you know, I missed this one. And uh, I missed a couple of things. I did not think the outcome of the primaries during the weekend would be such that there would be a significant outcome. Now, to tell you the truth, the news cycle is lagging behind what the primaries meant, what the primaries of the weekend mean. And if so, you're perhaps thinking, oh, what did they mean? You know, or were there primaries this weekend? Or, you know, why? Is it supposed to be a big deal? That's what I was thinking on Friday. But as it turns out, there was one thing I should have seen, and that is the possibility that the primaries this weekend could amount to a a very big deal indeed. And in fact, today, (coughs) pardon me, we've installed a special line so you can tell me how wrong I was. And uh, the wrong line is 1-888-900-3393. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three, 900 3393 hundred three three nine three. 900 3393 Call now. Call before midnight. Operators are standing by. Operators are standing by to assist you as you tell them, no, as you tell me and all of us across America, indeed around the world, how wrong I was and have been. May a copa, may a copa, may a maxima copa. The second thing I did not foresee was the – I don't think I want to use the word tragic, though that would be okay – was the extremely sad and poignant, depending on who you are, how old you are, what she may or may not have represented to you, is the passing – of Nancy Davis Reagan. Uh, As a result, it's Monday. Hello. Nancy Reagan. As I sat with my uh, computer, my family, my dogs, and the fire, sounds nice, doesn't it? It's really not... Well, it is nice. It's just not as norman rockwellian as the picture you may conjure but as we sat here and the news broke in that nancy reagan had died what i watched and and i and y- y- this is a selfish reflection and i do not mean to do that great great lady any insolence by making this a personal, a selfish reflection, a selfish recollection. Because for all of us, when a historic figure dies, it is a personal recollection. Because we say to ourselves, wow, I was, you know, like right now, Brittany is saying, I I was I was still seven years away from being born, you know, when Nancy Reagan was first lady. And I'm thinking, well, I'm thinking this, my, my, my g- 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 generation, when I watched the parade of figures on whom the media called yesterday to reminisce, recollect, pay respects, to Nancy Reagan after about an hour it struck me i was looking at a newsreel of of my life now <clears throat> let me explain i wasn't called to talk about nancy reagan though if you were to find the vanity fair magazine article written about Nancy and Ronald Reagan, uh, written, I don't know when. I tried to look at it. My my web skills are so poor. I couldn't even find it. But uh, I do recall, uh, because Mrs. Severin is fond of Vanity Fair, and uh, it's, a, it's a big deal magazine if you're into what's left of magazines. They did a profile. I think it was Bob Colicello. I can't remember. I think he wrote it. Uh but they went to a few, you know a few people for quotes sources on the story i was one of them and i mentioned that because i watched people that were not my peers but my mentors and 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 for me and again i admit it's a selfish recollection as by definition the meaningfulness of the death of a public figure is to a great extent for us all. We place, we define the significance of the passing of that public figure in terms of our own lives. Do we not? We say, wow, I was, I remember, I was with my father, I was 12 years old, or, you know, I mean, I remember when President Reagan got shot. I remember, you know, all these things. I remember when they walked on the moon. I remember when. Uh, so. It is almost by definition a somewhat selfish, and I don't mean it in the hackneyed way selfish. I just mean of or pertaining to self. That 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 we 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 our recollections, our reminiscence. Of a great public figure who has passed are necessarily recollections of ourselves we or not. I mean, whether or not we knew them, liked them, lived through them, only knew about them from our parents or lived through it or whether they meant anything to us. And I watched this parade of people and I realized I knew, again, this is not, believe me, on my word and on my family's head, this is the furthest thing from a boast as I could ever intend. Everyone they spoke to yesterday, I think, has been a guest on this show because everyone they spoke to yesterday, all day long on CNN and Fox, were all my, again, not peers exactly, but mentors. And these were people that, think about it, when you started in whatever business, you have been in in your life your mentors were all 20 30 years older than you isn't that kind of right is that the calculus I don't know I don't know if there's a calculus but aren't aren't isn't the generation ahead of you in terms of what you do by definition 20 25 maybe 30 years older than you are and so you were close enough to them in age even though 25 years is a heck of a long time. But as you get older, you also know it's the blink of an eye. When you get on the wrong side of 50, you know that 25 years can be a frighteningly short period of time. In any case, everyone I watched yesterday, I knew. And it was prideful. God forgive me. It was a little bit prideful. Because I could say, you know, to my wife, I could say, well, honey, you know, you know, I knew I worked with him. I worked with him. I worked with her. Even though I was at the moment the most junior, junior, junior of juniors you could be, you know, in the enterprise, they were my mentors. They were the generation ahead of me, but not so far ahead of me that I didn't know them because the other dimension of this recollection was selfish in another way. I was looking at my own mortality yesterday. In Nancy Reagan's mortality, it's the first really famous person, I think, in whom I saw the reflection of my own mortality, because all of the people who knew her best and worked with her, I have worked with virtually all of them. And so I got this kind of like eerie feeling like, whoa, um, am am I old More in a moment.
2: The Jay Severin Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: 1-888-900-3393
1: one 3393 three, three. Three, three, three. I apologize for the degree to which I have thus far made Nancy Reagan's obituary about my self-reflections. But I talked this over with my child bride, and you know we agreed that the passing of a person who is so famous and who represents so much is invariably viewed through the prism of one's own life. It's like one of those where were you when moments. So yesterday, as they began the tribute to Nancy Reagan, it was a talk about my, 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 my d- d- generation. Not quite. It was my, my, my d- d- generation only plus 30 years, but close enough that those were all the people in power and in charge of anything when I broke into the business. The grace and elegance of Nancy Reagan the grace and elegance of of Nancy Reagan surely one of the very finest of America's first ladies ever stands in such stark relief to the common vulgarity of today's public forum does it not it's the cosmic opposite of the culture that produced twerking fair enough who who was nancy reagan well I met her twice, and it could not have been more of an honor, though a more fleeting experience, which she never registered and you know wouldn't be able to pick me out of a lineup the next day. But I, I met her twice, and it was astounding then and unforgettable now. And I remember being struck by how instantly it struck me, I'll tell you why in a second, that she was the lovely old guard, old school. I went to Vassar College, and it was uh, quite a famous women's college, uh, maybe the most best known of the, of the most prominent of the women's, co- called the Women's Ivy And it was in uh, the Women's Ivy League, you know, Smith, Wellesley, Vassar, uh, you know, Barnard. And the Seven Sisters, they are to this day called those schools. And I was in the first class of men there. And as a freshman, I recall the senior women, senior girls, and... That was still the old days. That was old school. That was old guard. They dressed for dinner on Sunday. They had no guests, generally speaking. But there was one dorm, the main dorm, in which there was uh, linen and silver set for Sunday dinner. And the ladies would dress for dinner. Not in formal wear. Not in semi-formal wear. But not in... You know, not in uh, T-shirts and jeans. These were all girls who had been accustomed to dressing for dinner. This was the old Vassar. Who was Nancy Reagan? I tweeted yesterday that in if you said to me that a man, if I read the obituary of a stranger and it said he was Yale class of 43 or Princeton or Harvard, class of 43, I would know 90% about that man, never having met him, for good or ill. And many, many people think it's elitist and ill, but there was no question that the Yale class of 43 was absolutely homogeneous. And so too was the Smith College or the Wellesley College, or the Vassar College class of 1943. Who was Nancy Reagan? She was old guard, old school, in the very best possible way. She was someone you instantly wanted to be, look up to. She was regal. She was comfortably regal. In another time and place, she would have been a princess. Who was Nancy Reagan? Nancy Reagan was Smith College 43. Every day of her life, before she got to Smith and after she left Smith, she was Smith 43. And oddly, in the end, she left a world, most of which did not know nor care what Smith College is or was, or what being Smith College 43 was all about. She was, in the end, without her Ronnie. She was without her health. And she was a woman without a country, in a sense. Certainly a woman without a culture. Can we even begin to imagine imagine, given who Nancy and Ronald Reagan were, can we begin to imagine who they were and what they represented? And if you lived through any of the time and were old enough to recall a sense of Ronald Reagan as president and Nancy Reagan as first lady, can we even begin to imagine their reaction to what is now the day-to-day common vulgarity of the public forum can you begin can we begin to imagine their reaction to Donald Trump to this campaign say to last Thursday's debate for president of the United States with the Republican same party as Ronald the leading candidate of the Republicans defending the dimensions of his manhood.
2: Jay Severin.
3: Excelsior.
2: The Blaze Radio Network. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze
1: Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network, I am Jay Severin. You are the best and brightest. one hundred three three nine three. 900 We have partners on the phone. We're about to go there. Uh, in in uh, truncating for now my recollection of Nancy Reagan and what she meant, and again, dot, 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 to me, because that's what it means to all of us. None of us knew her personally. And I, and I, so it's always, it's like, you know, when they walked on the moon or went, you know, okay. I felt I knew her and admired her and loved her, even though I never knew her. Again, I I discount the two times I met her because it was of the most perfunctory sort. But I'll tell you on both occasions, she had a protocol officer there to whisper into who knew in advance who would be in the room or the receiving line and whisper into her ear, you know who this is. And the first time it was Mr. Severin, uh, you know, delighted. (laughs) She was delighted. And the second time it was first name. Oh, yes, Jay. How nice to see you again. Like she remembered me. But do you know what that means to you when when it's you? That's what I'm talking about when I say who she was. And the world she left, I mean, to say she's in a better place is cliched but never truer. That's the kind of woman, human she was. And when one considers noteworthiness or absence thereof of first ladies in the modern American era, and I guess I'm saying since the Civil War, in the second half of America so far, one thinks of For good or ill, one thinks of as transformational White House First Ladies. One thinks of, and for different reasons entirely, one thinks of Eleanor Roosevelt, one thinks of Jackie Kennedy, one thinks of Nancy Reagan. Those are the three I regard as consensus noteworthy. In 150 years. Not bad. I fear her like we shall never again see. I hope for my children, I hope for my children, things evolve instead of devolve such that they live to see again her like. But I don't imagine that's going to be true, and I'm sorry for that, and I'm sorry for the passing of Nancy Reagan, a great lady, a great first lady. May she rest in peace. Rocky, thanks for holding, my friend. No one I'd rather talk to at this moment.
3: Jay, my friend you have such a way with words, uh, that was really, really nice. What you said about Nancy Reagan. Um, and I understand your, your, uh, you know, being able to file things into your, your history of your life. Um, one of the things I, I would like to mention about Nancy before we move to something else. And hopefully I'm not stepping on your toes on anything that you would say, but, uh, Ronald, if, if, if you take, well, let me make it, let me end on a positive note. If you take and you think about our politicians nowadays and you think of Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton and just the ugliness that's gone on during his presidency and uh, the example of, you know, them to a family unit, it's just despicable Or Obama, who's, you know, attended, a funeral while flirting with the uh, Dutch Prime Minister. In 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 comparison to Nancy and Ronald, all through his life, uh, there's a book out there that he writes love letters to Nancy yes. Reagan. They were tr- they were truly not just the first couple; they were truly in love and an inspiration to all of it. To feel part of that that history, uh, kind of, you know, we had, uh, I guess, you know, they consider the Kennedys to be kind of like the king and queen, but it really wasn't to me. Uh, the real shining example was Nancy and, and Ronald, and uh, I'm, I'm... Rocky, I, I think you yeah. put
1: your finger on it. It wasn't the political realm that defined Nancy Reagan... And only half to find Ronald Reagan. You are right. What defined them culturally is like I say now. You know, I look at all this, and I I now have my byword for it. You know, twerking, da da. Okay. As much as twerking is a sardonic but not inaccurate reference to the culture right now. If we could go back thirty years, I would say Reagan's Rocky, Reagan's, because they were. The the last of the old fashioned, mad about each other, holding hands like teenagers, crazy about each other, completing each other, you know, finishing each other's sentences, in in public, in private, and it said everyone who knew them, in the last forty eight hours has or twenty four hours has said they they really just wanted you know they they accommodated their roles as not royal no one said royalty i'm saying it as royalty but given the choice they really just wanted to order hamburgers from the white house mess and be together and watch tv
3: they really were my heroes uh, i and i've always said that about ronald reagan ronald reagan is really the only president that i hold up so high as you know i i virtually you know, I don't want to say I held him above a man, but he was a he was a man at the tippy top of the of the chain of, of respect that I could could ever be able to give to somebody. He's he was an amazing man, and, and Nancy was just so much a part of that.
1: Lorac, well, I appreciate you so, all appreciate your uh, your perspective. I know it's uh it's one of those things that's so easy. We're so inundated with news and. Nothing shocks us anymore, and um, and 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 again, it's got part of the poignancy of this for some people, like me I and you, that. I, is that it's a reflection of our own lives. You know, we, 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 you know, it's it's they weren't we weren't of their generation, but it's starting to get within shouting distance.
3: I truly love that about this program, Jay, and that is, yeah. Um, you know, your expertise is politics, and, and we really get into that. But what are we really doing here? You know, why are we, why are we involved in what we're doing? You know, I, I know that generation after generation, the old people say that, you know, it's never going to be the same again, and this generation is going to mess it up. But right. it really does seem like it. Just like when you fall into that age group, when you get into that, you know, on the on the bad side of 50 age group, like you said. When you get into that age group, you know, you start looking back and you reflect upon those that come after you. You know your times are eventually going to be limited. And you wish for people to be able to reap the same joys from life that, you know, even if they were, I mean, my best years were my youngest years when I was carefree. And people like President Reagan took care of us. But I, I, I'm with you. Like you I. I suppose I should move
1: on to the next topic. Um, hey, listen, before you move on, I can't think of anyone better here, and I'm, I am i do want to get this in today, and there's a danger. This is typically one of those things that gets lost I hang, because I don't I want to on. bury. I'm sorry?
3: I said I can hang on and be quiet if you oh, want. Oh, no, no, it's while. not
1: necessary yet. Um, uh, but I wanted to make sure, uh, personally, I got this in, and it didn't become one of those things that got buried. I watched today the Peyton Manning yes. uh retirement speech. And all I can say is that that, if you we, anyone ever if you have a chance to see that and they'll replay it, I guess it's on YouTube, wherever. That was a metaphor for his career. That was the kind of the kind of football player and leader and quarterback Peyton Manning was is the kind that- of speech he gave today in his in giving up you know the craft to which he devoted his life and i was very very moved um i'm a new england patriots fan but i'm a football fan first and uh, peyton manning that's just the top of the shelf right there
3: he's uh He's an amazing man. I actually didn't get to hear the whole thing because I've been on the road up until beginning of the show. I just got to hear a little bit of it, but it was uh, very, very heartfelt. I could tell. Yeah,
1: they're 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 um, likely. Most of us are likely to see the replay of the Q and A, but I I couldn't more strongly recommend, even if you're not a football fan, to to go to go find. Peyton Manning's statement, it probably took about eight or nine minutes, I don't know what it was but it was the most eloquent, elegant moving, meaningful sports speech I I suppose the 2016 equivalent, if there could be such a thing, of Lou Gehrig's announcing at Yankee Stadium uh, upon knowing he was dying that he was the luckiest man on the face of the earth Rocky, now it's time to hold. We'll be right back.
2: J Severin, the Blaze Radio Network.
0: This is the Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: And these are my partners on the Blaze Radio Network. Rocky, kind enough to hold. Rocky, you have the floor.
3: Okay, Jay, what I did is uh, I did some some, uh, basically evaluation of how many votes each candidate needs to get to be able to reach that magic number, like you were stating, Operation 1236. Right. Okay. In my in my calculations, I'm going to use 1237 because my my verbiage is for them to be able to make it out. Okay. And what I've done is I've taken the number of delegates that each candidate has. Okay. And uh, which I'm going to ask you a question on one of these. Um, Rubio, he had 128, but on Sunday, Puerto Rico pledged 23. And they're pledged. This is in the fine print. You may not know off the top of your head, uh, but it says they're not convi- they're not committed until the convention. So when they have yeah, no. the GOP convention, uh, what's that mean that Puerto Rico can hold those and put them someplace else?
1: Uh, two two notes uh, on your very astute question. Number one. Uh, it is a little odd that the first uh, primary that rubio should win would be in a us protectorate that does not vote in the election <laughs> so yeah he may yeah. have won, he may about, have won puerto rico it. but they won't be voting in the presidential right. election they don't get to vote it, um that is secondly weird. though what? far more important question and answer and I have this right up in my notes here today, right up at the top. I've mentioned this before, but I think it warrants a re-mention. None of this is a law. If you win delegates, your tie to them, more precisely, theirs to you, is awfully tenuous, especially in a year like this. Because, Rock, they are bound only by a party regulation. And they're there are other party regulations. I would give you rule 40 rule 40 states that in other to be considered under any circumstances by the convention for a nomination to president or vice president, one must have won at least eight primaries. Now this would be an obstacle to the party bosses who want to drop in someone who maybe didn't win eight, maybe didn't win any primaries. So, In their minds, they're going to change rule 40 at a breakfast meeting of three people on the the morning before the convention. And so the first round of voting delegate bond is also a rule that could be changed at that breakfast. Before the pancakes are set down. So there is nothing binding the delegates to the candidates, even on the first ballot except for a party rule and if if the republican national committee gets what it wants a brokered convention then they are going to change at breakfast that morning every rule that is an impediment to dropping in whatever candidate they have in mind and uh, rocky uh, thank you as always it was it's Special to me to be able to enjoy with someone like you a, a, a story like this and about Nancy Reagan. But let me say, I have to break here for the top of the hour. Um, they will change, Prince, Reince Priebus at all will change any and every rule they need to to put in their own guy Not Trump or Cruz.
2: Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Best and brightest, we are the Blaze Radio Network. We are what's happened since Friday, because it's Monday. We are what's happening. Wait, suck it to me, suck it to me, suck it to me. Excelsior! Welcome back, best and brightest. Welcome back to the J.L.E. News on the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, we have covered, and I wish to mention again, the uh, my uh, personal, and I know I share it with, with many people to uh, various degrees, uh, a very personal, reflective uh, sorrow at the passing of Nancy Reagan, depending on... Whether she meant something or nothing or somewhere in between to you, uh, we won't see her like again. And you know what? Neither will we, of course, neither will we see the like of graduates of Smith College 43 again. And I would say that you won't see the likes of the graduates of the Seven Sisters Colleges up until about 1965 after after sixty five okay maybe nineteen nineteen sixty eight even seventy I'll go to seventy but after nineteen seventy then the graduates of all these schools i do not know ninety percent about them just by knowing that they were uh wellesley sixty four Or Princeton, 62. And to a lot of people, that's bad and elitist. And to me, it's the best America ever was lost. Maybe or maybe not to be reclaimed. Uh, as, As well as Peyton Manning's professional passing. All right, the weekend primaries which I did not anticipate. I did not think they would be an event. I was wrong. The only thing that doesn't, the only thing that saves me from being terribly wrong is that the death of Nancy Reagan stepped all over the coverage of the death of Mrs. Reagan, stepped all over the political coverage this weekend, And just as a storyline might have been developing, Mrs. Reagan passed. The story that I think was developing, no, I believe was developing, nay, was developing, was that the weekend primaries represent somehow a game-changing moment. Now, Trump and Cruz both won two. Cruz won more delegates than Trump. But you see, there is this overall sense, which we'll talk about in a moment, that Donald Trump, we may have peaked, the American voters may have peaked with Donald Trump or vice versa. I'll get to that in a second. In any case, it was with the victories in Kansas and Maine that, and again, two states each, Cruise more delegates, slightly more delegates, that the storyline started to emerge that this may be a two man race. And what this really did was cement in place a couple of things. One, the importance of Michigan tomorrow. And along with it, the re of the importance of Florida one week from tomorrow. The sense that, i.e., the sense that if Rubio does not win his home state of Florida one week from tomorrow, he is a man, not perhaps without a country, but he's a man without a presidential rationale. That if he can't win his home state and doesn't win his home state, It's over for Rubio. Again, this is a school of thought, but I'll tell you it's a school that almost all members of the media are enrolled in. Along with it, side by side, is the notion that if, contrarily, if Donald Trump manages to come from 20-plus points behind and beat Rubio in Florida. See, there are two separate dimensions here. And they are very much obviously attached to each other, though they can also stand very much apart. They stand apart in this fashion. There, You've got Rubio, can he win his home state? Yes or no, and that's that. In a separate uh, apartment next door, you've got can Trump come from 20-plus points back and beat and win florida uh parenthetically i.e. beating rubio see it matters both and in two dimensions that or each in its own dimension that if if rubio loses florida there's that dimension but if rubio loses florida and he's beaten by trump then that's two dimensions and it's like two dimensions squared i mean All of a sudden, it becomes, you know, to the power of 20. So I don't know if the Trump people actually believe they can do it. I doubt that they can. I'm not predicting yet. I mean, my preliminary prediction is they won't. But this thing is going to happen very quickly. And if Rubio starts to show weakness, this is going to be like Jaws. If Rubio starts to show weakness, if he starts to bleed in Florida, he's going to bleed out and quickly. And that's why the most important inner strategic thing I can share with you is that the innermost fears slash strategy slash 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 uh, I got carried away. Sorry. The innermost uh, strategies Slash of the Rubio campaign are that. Do what happens if we lose our home state? That's just, ooh, ooh, ooh. but if we lose our home state to Trump, that's so. The principal question with which. The Rubio uh, campaign finds itself consumed at this moment. What, however he looks, whatever he says, ignore it. That's not what's really going on. Remember, the campaign is not what you see on television. It's what you hear on the Blaze Radio Network. And they are consumed, consumed, obsessed right now the Rubio campaign with this question remember at various points of this campaign we've talked about okay we're inside the room with the strategists what are you talking about and what's the argument on each side it's always a binary equation it's always a you know always boils down to a this or that a or B always a binary equation okay this is one of those times right now I think the last time we talked about this is, do we stay in this state, primary state, or do we pull out now and go to the next one? And each person makes their argument, right? Okay. This is that argument writ huge, to coin a phrase. Because right now, this is the question confronting Rubio. If you advise Rubio, I tweeted this, I think, last night. You advise Rubio, okay? What is your advice? You have two choices. You advise Rubio, A, stay in the race, ignore the naysayers, fight hard, fight for your home state, do your best, no shame no matter what happens. Or, B, do you say to Rubio, my friend, I am totally loyal to you. I want you to ignore all those resumes I've been emailing out to the Trump and Cruz campaigns. I'm very loyal to you and I want you to listen to me. Now listen to me. Anyone know what that movie, where that, which movie that comes from? Now listen to me. That's the greatest trivia question I've ever asked. I mean, it's not great. It's just the most obscure, which makes it great, right? Um, You'll do some one you one of this audience will know, more than one. Anyway, now listen to me. B in terms of advice is, it's been a great fight. You've done a great job, but you have to get out now. You're what, seventeen years old? You have a great future in front of you. But if you withdraw voluntarily. And make the best deal you can make with one of the front runners. You can do and be anything now or later. But if you hang in past your time and you don't recognize what the clock says, if you don't know what time it is and you lose your home state, you will bear that scar politically forever.
2: This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Welcome back, partners, 1-888-900-3393. Joseph from Tampa, thank you for your gracious patience. Thank you, Jay. Thank you very much. My pleasure,
3: sir. My pleasure, sir. Jay, uh, when I turn my TV set on, and this is, when I turn my television set on and watch Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton having a debate I look at the television set in my living room as the modern-day Colosseum from, you know, say, Imperial
1: Rome. Indeed and, it uh, is. It's the right, window out of your spaceship. Of your
3: spaceship. <laughs> right. So I ask myself: I know Mr. Glenn Beck and a few others are looking for someone with integrity. I don't want integrity, and either do the people in this country. They want the White House back. They want a Marcus Artilius. They want a Spartacus to go at it. And not someone like Ted Cruz, who is Mr. Integrity. Look, we all know Ted Cruz has product knowledge. He knows the Constitution frontwards-backwards. Donald Trump knows a little bit about everything, and he's no brain surgeon. But he is willing to be a hired gun to come to the town because the sheriff dropped his badge gun and ran. He's willing to get into a cage fight, get into the mud with Hillary Clinton. I look at Donald Trump as a, a savior here, Who's willing to get in the mud and go and call Hillary Clinton a liar and a criminal? And he will say, You shouldn't even be on this stage tonight. He will. Ted Cruz is too much of a gentleman. Uh, we all know he uh, intellectually has a lot more gray matter than, than a Donald Trump. And by the way, Donald Trump's talking about his physical uh, po- um, prowess and everything. That beautiful wife of his isn't hanging around because he's a millionaire, you know. <laughs>
1: Oh, oh I don't know, I don't but, know. Uh, but uh but but I get I hear you look here's how much I agree with you. I'm committed to Ted Cruz, I have been for a very long time, but I vowed never to let that or anything else stand in the way of very toss on this show. I'm going to tell you the truth as I know it or the truth as I believe it to be, and the truth as I believe it to be after a lifetime in politics. Did I mention I founded my grade school civics club when I was in the sixth grade and newspaper? So that's why I say lifetime. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that. Brittany, have I ever mentioned that before? I don't believe so. Okay. No, I'm glad. Me neither. So I'm glad I mentioned it now. So, Joseph, even if you only count the last 25 years where it's essentially the way I I made my living, I look at this and I say, I love Ted Cruz and I wish – it's like – I wish most of Americans would pick Nancy Reagan. Most Americans who live right now would pick Nancy Reagan as their favorite first lady, or if not Nancy Reagan, Jackie Kennedy because of the elegance and class and dignity and breeding that they represented. But Joseph, there's no chance that, that a majority of living Americans would pick Nancy Reagan or Jackie Kennedy as, because they're too far away from twerking. Okay. Ted Cruz is the Nancy Reagan of candidates right now. I want people to feel about him the way I do. I want people to recognize and value in him the traits you have eloquently described, ascribed to him. But I fear they don't and won't. And I've always said this is civic circus maximus, and you can't beat a circus act without your own circus act. And the problem is, as Glenn has said, this guy could turn out to be a fascist. This guy, the the historic parallels of a cult of personality, of nationalism, and a rise to power based on nothing other than that cult of personality. Wait a minute.
3: Wait a minute. How bad? Wait, do let, you let me want finish, to please.
1: I'll, you I'll, finish. I'll let you finish. I'll let you finish. When you look at the historic parallels of the rise of fascists and other nationalist movements, they parallel, rightly or wrongly, coincidentally or otherwise, the rise of Donald Trump. However, if you want a winner, you have to face the stark prospect that you could be looking at Mussolini, the next Mussolini, or you could be looking at the next Teddy Roosevelt, or you could be looking at the next Arnold Schwarzenegger, I mean, a useless dolt. I don't know on the span, on the spectrum of those three personalities where this guy ends up, but that's the gamble that we take, and I think people are willing to take it. P.S. The media continues to ignore, Joseph, the fact that Trump's most important claim to fame that he does not make a big deal about yet, uh, and the media won't report, is that he can probably bring in millions of voters and X, Y, or Z states that no other Republican could.
3: Right, right. Look, um, I I ask myself, what is a billionaire, billionaire Donald Trump, messing, taking in 35000 from students at Trump University? It's nonsensical. It's it's Orwellian. The guy's a billionaire. I don't know what he's doing there. It's silly. And he's going to have to contend with that in a debate. You don't think Hillary Clinton will be all over that? And... He's going to have to say, I have a civil matter, you have a criminal matter. Big difference. Um, (laughs) you're You're looking for a gentleman, Jay, I'm afraid. Mr. Cruz is a gentleman, and I've seen it for 10, 11, 10 debates now, going on 11 Thursday. He's a gentleman, a scholarly gentleman, but he is no cage fighter. How badly do you want the White House? Because right. I got news for you, we're being set up with Ted Cruz for the next fall guy behind Nick Romney, a loser, and John McCain and Bob Dole,
1: and keep going back. Joseph, I think because, uh, Joseph, I think, I, I, right. I think you're right. I think you're right. I have I've this, this is no revelation. no revelation. I have always said this. I have always been committed to Cruz. And some might say, <clears throat> thanks a lot for the support, you know, butthead. But uh, I have meaning me, you know, by, by I've always said uh, this is this has become. Civic Circus Maximus. And does the erudite Princeton debate champion in 2016, does he come close enough to twerking that he gets you network ratings, you know, like Trump does? Every time Trump opens his mouth, it's like telling a six-year-old, you know what we're doing today? Timmy, you know what we're doing? We're going to the circus. <laughs> right? As opposed to, Timmy, you know what we're doing today? We're going. Daddy's taking you to a lecture on the intricacies of the evolution of the laws of real estate. Oh, Daddy, do I have to go? This is this is what we're looking at, right? We're looking at we're not looking at uh, political uh, uh, quotient. We're looking at entertainment quotient, and I fear that we cannot be a circus act and the welfare state. And the I'll give you other people's stuff with someone erudite.
2: J7 on The Blaze Radio Network.
1: hitting the send button here on a tweet my best and brightest to someone said uh you know well how entertaining are hillary clinton or bernie don't forget that's that's who we're running against and uh uh and you're exactly right but but not exactly democrats don't have to be entertaining we don't have to be entertaining Democrat. I'm sorry, Democrats don't have to be entertaining. We do. The reason why is that we are the daddy, and I'm sorry about this, and maybe things have changed in America. I know now things have changed since Leave It to Beaver and Father Knows Best, which liberals will tell you never existed. And I'm here to tell you I grew up there. It did exist. I grew up there and so did all of my friends. So if you want to tell me I live that like I was on a sound stage like the movie Ed or something, you know, and it didn't really exist. It was all an experiment or a dream, okay. But I grew up there. I lived in that house. I jumped off my bike while it was still moving when I came home with my backpack every afternoon and let the bike crash into the front porch. And if one of my parents was near well, my father would be at work, of course, and my mother of course, would be at home and if she heard the bike crash into the porch, she'd say "James you know and 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 I would like say "Sorry," and immediately run for the refrigerator to break out all the stuff comic books, ham and cheese, cookies, milk anyway we don't have we have a burden Democrats don't have. And that is the essential, no, uh, the unique selling proposition to quote the advertising genius, David Ogilvy, One requires a USP, a unique selling proposition. A unique selling proposition. That matters whether you're at a bar on a Saturday night, whether you're selling an insurance policy, a car, or, you know, yourself. Your party, the Democrats are the agents of free stuff. No Bernie is not entertaining he was, he's a little bit entertaining, but he's he's nuts and he's a communist, and he should be in jail. Hillary Clinton should probably probably be on death row by now if the laws of the United States were faithfully executed and she were you or me, she'd be on death row right now. And I don't mean the record company, the record label, but here she is waiting to win the nomination for president and, uh, have everything she wants instead. She is the agent of free stuff. The Democrats offer you other people's money, other people's stuff. They offer you a lifetime of welfare, no work, free stuff. Where my free stuff at? Well, Hillary has it. Or Bernie has it. But Ted Cruz doesn't have it. Now, I don't know whether Donald Trump has it because no one does. You certainly don't know. And when I say you, I mean you, because no matter who is hearing the sound of my voice right now, you don't know what Donald Trump is going to do. You don't know. No one knows. I'm not sure Donald Trump knows, but you certainly don't. I certainly don't. No one does, because nobody knows. Because right now, we are an American electorate. Who has watched with maybe some vague interest, maybe some particular interest, you know, if you live in or near the East Coast, maybe, you know, a little bit more about Donald Trump's behavior, not more about Donald Trump, but about Donald Trump's public behavior than people elsewhere do. You know, people in California don't know about Donald Trump, like people in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, you know, between Boston and Washington know. But no matter what you know, you don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what he's going to do. He doesn't know what he's going to do. We have been watching a televised program of of a dog. Okay? This is like Lassie. This has been a running series for the last 25 years. Lassie. Only it's Laddie. It's a story about a dog. It's about Donald Trump. And now, about eight months ago, the dog holds a press conference and announces, I'm a cat. I really, I'm kind of a a trans specimen. That's what I am. I'm a trans specimen. I I feel as though I'm a cat born in a dog's body. So I want to let out my natural cat. I'm going to be a cat from now on. So I want you to ignore the fact that I've been a dog for all these years. I'm now a cat. So I want you to expect that I'm going to be a cat if you place me in the presidency. And then from time to time, since the dog slash cat makes that announcement. You find the dog humping your leg and you say, Hey, wait a second. I don't think cats do that. And he goes, Oh, sorry. And then you find the cat quote unquote rooting through the garbage like and chewing on a bone. It's not supposed to have like a chicken bone or something. And you go, hey, cats don't do that. Oh, sorry. I forgot myself. You know, and then, and then you find the cat doing other very, you find the cat like wanting to run after a stick that you throw in the water. And it fetches the stick, swims around, throws the stick in the air, comes back, shakes, <laughs> shakes off. It's a on, throw it again, throw it again, throw it again, throw it again, throw it again. And you go, I'd love to, but aren't you a cat? Oh, yeah, I forgot. You don't know what Donald Trump is going to do. I don't know what Donald Trump is going to do. He doesn't know what he's going to do. Because we don't know if he's a dog or a cat one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. Uh all right, where were we? The weekend primaries, two apiece, maybe a game changer. The storyline now is it's a two man race. I've explained that. It has everything to do with what happens in the next week. There's there are four tomorrow. Uh let me see Michigan and then Idaho Mississippi and Hawaii, they'll get attention, but none will get attention like Michigan will. Michigan will get attention tomorrow, especially because it could be tremendously significant. Not only is it prospectively a decisive general election, you know, electoral college state, but the Kasich next door neighbor effect may be in play. John Kasich is announcing to you that he's going to win Ohio. He doesn't mind raising expectations there. His, his tactical strategy there is to say, I'm going to win Ohio. It's my home state. I'm going to win it. What he doesn't tell you is that he's been paddling like hell underneath the surface of the water to try and win Michigan next door. Because if he can win Rust Belt states... They have enormous gold mines of, are enormous gold mines of electoral votes, and they're also politically just tremendously important in the general election. So what Kasich is telling you he's going to do is, gee, if I just win Ohio, golly, I'd be so happy. He may or may not, and he ought to be happy. If he wins it. But what he's really trying to do, but he's not telling us this because he doesn't want to raise expectations and risk looking like a loser. What he really wants to do is be the surprise winner in Michigan tomorrow. And because he's from next door and because the way Michigan votes, it's perfectly plausible that Kasich could pull off an upset tomorrow. I predict to you now that not that he's going to win. But do not be surprised uh, surprised if Kasich overperforms in Michigan tomorrow. This has been a classic case of, of lowering expectations or having no expectations publicly about Michigan. But man, oh man, he wants to win that. But Trump has very strong blue-collar appeal. Now, separately, okay, all these added up become far more important than they are separately, but they are separately important for Trump. He has tremendous blue collar appeal so far. He claims to have it. If he has it, he'll win Michigan tomorrow. If he doesn't win Michigan tomorrow, it will put the lie to the notion that Donald Trump has great blue collar appeal. That's a big loser for Trump. If Trump doesn't win tomorrow, and if the demos show that he didn't win blue-collar workers, it's a big, big loss. No matter who wins, it's a big, big loss. But if either Cruz or uh, Kasich beat him, then it's a loss to the factor of 20. And then finally, you've got Cruz. By virtue of his momentum and his argument and his campaign, the same things that made him able to win in disparate places like Kansas and Maine on Saturday could enable him to win Michigan tomorrow. If he, if he does, big story. But not as big a story as both Trump and Kasich losing. j
2: Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: And on the Blaze Radio Network, the Democrats in Michigan tomorrow. Yes, there's still another side to this race. <laughs> the Democrats in Michigan tomorrow. Uh, B.S., Bernie Sanders, is aiming to prove that he can win in any Rust Belt state. That's... that. It sort of makes sense to me at first blush, but then I think, but wait a second. Isn't – aren't the Rust Belt states supposed to be, in theory, where all the working men's heroes are? I mean, there's no – there is no question, uh, demographically, mathematically, the blue-collar and lifelong, multi-generational blue-collar votes – are reliably in the Rust Belt states. It's even why they're called the Rust Belt, because of manufacturing that no longer happens. So if if blue-collar, multi-generational blue-collar sentiments rule the roost in the the Midwest Rust Belt states, well, then wh- isn't that where Sanders is supposed to be a big hero? I mean, isn't where this, I mean, on the one hand, you can see they they have an American flag tattoo and they'll beat the snot out of someone like Bernie Sanders because he's a commie. But at the same time, they belong to the union. They belong to the, you know, pipe fitters union and the pipe fitters union will show up at a cruise rally and beat the snot out of and break the noses of cruise voters. Uh, they'll have wrenches with them and they'll... Beat the snot out of conservatives because conservatives aren't for the unions. So which are they? What is Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin? What 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 are the Rust Belt states? Pennsylvania are they? Are they are they blue collar workers to whom uh, B.S. would appeal? Bernie Sanders. Would a commie, a Marxist, working class hero, BS appeal to them, or would they break Bernie's nose, and and vote for Trump instead? There's a lot of evidence of the latter. I don't know about breaking Bernie's nose, though. You know, I, it wouldn't lose me a lot of sleep. But I'd, uh, but uh, but voting for Trump. There's an awful lot of evidence that Trump has. Uh, revived to some, perhaps large degree, the Reagan Democrat phenomenon. I don't. So I don't know. There is also a lot of conventional wisdom that we have trumped out. There's a lot of conventional wisdom now, whether or not it's true, but starting with last Thursday's debate. In which Trump was the ringmaster in a disgraceful circus in the views of many. It maybe it's coincidental, but ever since Thursday night's debate, every bad thing that's happened to Trump in this campaign has happened since last Thursday night. The only sustained downhill period where you know anybody started saying, gee, has Trump peaked? Is someone else gaining momentum? You know, is someone is it now down to a two man race? Cruz Is Cruz the one now? You know, all of that started since last Thursday night on into the weekend primaries. So it all comes down to a week from tomorrow. But until then, there is tomorrow. We all hope for that. Yes.
2: This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network.